postpartum body odor. It is a totally natural phenomenon because your body chemistry changes after giving birth. And so sometimes that means that what worked before is no longer effective. But I am excited to say that now there is a solution for that stubborn odor. The Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is a completely natural deodorant made by a postpartum mom who went through it herself. And it works by eliminating and preventing bacterial body odor without covering up your skin's comforting smell to your baby while giving you 12 hours of odor control. And let me tell you, it actually works. Here at the house, we've all been trying it and loving it. Now, before you think, ew, you're sharing a deodorant with your husband and daughter, let me explain that this full-body deodorant comes in a convenient pump applicator that lets you apply it anywhere on your body with no bacteria traveling on the deodorant, so no ew involved. We also love that the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant has a delightful natural scent of USDA certified organic extracts that smell like a pink sugar cookie with lemon frosting. I thought this would be a little strange, but it's actually amazing. Also, the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is free from artificial fragrances and any kind of senoestrogens or herbs that can interfere with breastfeeding. Find your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant at postpartumdeodorant.com. That's postpartumdeodorant.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off through the month of May. Get your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters, with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny Kane.
Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous Birthful Library. Happy listening. Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today's story is with Sarah Fowler. What can you do after a truly exhausting birth leaves you in a daze? You've got intersecting breastfeeding issues and postpartum anxiety. You feel you're bonding more with your breast pump than your baby, have to return to work, and you don't know how to ask for help. Stay tuned. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros and new parents to inform your intuition. Hello, mighty parents and parents-to-be. Thank you, as always, for all the love you give the show, your messages, your requests, your ratings, your reviews, all your general support, telling your friends about this. So we know that birth does its own thing, and you can plan and prepare to have the experience you want, but then circumstances may show up that require you to adapt and go in a different direction. It's not that unusual for me to hear people say that they didn't listen to episodes that had to do with cesareans or didn't read up about it because they didn't think that was going to be their reality. But as is often said in the birthing world, meconium happens. And so your baby may have a different idea of how they need to be born and flexibility and quick adaptation on your part. They're two really important parenting tools that are going to serve you forever. I think Pregnancy and birth, you're already parenting. These are already parenting experiences and learning opportunities. Um, I also feel that listening to all kinds of birth and postpartum stories can be super helpful because you really never know what yours is going to be like. So my hope is that this can help make it less scary if you are faced with a situation that you didn't plan for. So today's story brings on a lot of such unexpected circumstances. So let's get to it. Here we go. Welcome, Sarah. It's so great to have you on the show. Thank you for wanting to share your story. Thank you for having me this morning. Yeah, I'm excited to hear. I'm excited to hear your story, but I know it's from what you told me. It's there's a lot that happened and it took a lot of turns and twists. Yes, a lot of unexpected uh, events Mm -hmm. as a first time mom that I was uh, definitely not prepared for. Yeah, so I appreciate you sharing that because we can plan for the best outcomes. We can plan for the our biggest wishes, but sometimes you know it's like a fifty-fifty between circums, or I guess a three-way between circumstances and yourself and your baby, right? Because right, the babies are also participants in this process. Yes, um, <laughs> so much. So before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I am a um, teacher in Northern California. I teach kindergarten. Um, I am married to a great man, and we have our first baby. Um, His name is Kellen, and he's a year old now. Happy birthday, Kellen, and happy birthday to you. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So let's take you back to, you know, a year and nine months ago. before, like when you learned you were pregnant during that, that, that time, what were your thoughts about birth and what were your, were your wishes? Oh, wow. We, um, we were actually very fortunate to get pregnant within the first month or two. Um, I had never been a woman that knew I was going to be a mother. I had always been kind of apprehensive about having kids. 
And then I started to get older and I realized, oh my gosh, it's going to pass me by if I don't seize the opportunity. A couple of my girlfriends were having kids. And um, so we decided that we were going to stop preventing and we were fortunate to get pregnant um, pretty quickly. And it all just kind of (laughs) came. And at about six weeks, I got really sick, Um, not throwing up, just intense nausea. And I was nauseous for the first 21 weeks. It was really rough. Was it um, diagnosed as hypernemesis gravidarum? No. I can't pronounce HG or no, it wasn't that bad. Okay. It was just really just nauseous. And I had the luxury of being off for the summer, being a teacher. So I kind of got to sit on the couch and eat saltines for the first three months. Um, But I knew being pregnant that I wanted to have as natural of an experience as I could. Um, I didn't know the, the reality of childbirth and how it really is intense. Um, I knew I wanted a doula because as much as I love my husband, he he's clueless too. So we started the uh, journey of searching for the perfect fit for our family. And we interviewed quite a few <laughs> quite a few uh, women until we found, and our last interview was amazing. Uh, Her name is Emily Campbell, and uh, she was able to support us through our labor, and she came a couple times uh, over the course of my pregnancy, and she was just amazing. Mm -hmm. And aside from having a doula, which of course I love, yay, (laughs) (laughs) what other things did you do to prepare for birth? Oh my goodness. Um, I listen to your podcast religiously on the way to work. Um, I, I took a lot of classes through Kaiser. I'm a Kaiser member. And so we did as many classes as they would offer. We would take, um, I tried to stay physically active, which got really hard in the middle, just being exhausted. And, um, so I kind of, I was in the gym a lot before I got pregnant, but I was not as active as I would have liked to been towards the end. Mm-hmm. And so you did the classes, you had your doula. What about your provider? Did you, how did you pick that person? Um, honestly, I just picked my OB. And to be honest with you, if I would have known in hindsight, had I could have chosen a midwife in the same practice, I probably would have done that. Um, I did feel like my my provider visits were extremely short. Um, there wasn't a lot of information from her. Um, felt kind of un- impersonal. Uh, but yeah, she was just my OB mm-hmm. that I've had for years. Okay. So you just continued with that. That mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, so then let's fast forward to <clears throat> close to the day of. How did you know you were in labor? Well, the truth is I never actually went into labor. Okay. Um, at 40 weeks, she did a membrane sweep because I was not progressing. I asked her to do it. It's not something I'd originally wanted, but, you know, the due date came and I was just getting so anxious that I was having nothing, no signs, no mucus plug, nothing. And so she gave me a membrane sweep and she actually told me I was like 90% effaced at like two centimeters. So I was super excited. Um, but then nothing really happened. And my doula came over and she spent an hour with me in certain positions, trying to get the baby to engage. Um, and then at 41 weeks, she asked my OB asked me if I wanted to be induced 
And I declined because I wanted my labor to start on its own. Um, but at 41 weeks, they start to get worried, you know, they don't want you to go too far. And so she said, I had up until 41 and five to get it going on my own. Uh, and I tried the ball and we tried walking and nothing was happening. So at 41 and five, I went into the hospital to be induced. That was a Monday morning at 1030. <laughs> See, and that's one thing that like I, it totally warms my heart because no matter the birth circumstances, no matter how it is, people can tell you like it was a Tuesday. It was a Monday. It was a Wednesday at night. It was we remember that so much. So yours mm -hmm. was a Monday at 10 in the morning. Right. And it was just, we walked into the hospital and, you know, we started the paperwork and went into the room. I was lucky. I got a nice room, really big one. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they started me with misoprostol, the pill, mm -hmm. because I declined Pitocin. I wanted, again, I wanted to go the least, let, try to let my body do it on its own. Um, so it started, you know, I kind of just was by myself for a little while because my husband went home to check on the cat, <clears throat> excuse me. And then my water broke. I felt a pop at like 7.30 that night and it felt warm and it felt uh, different. And then we called, I finally called my doula at that time to come because I didn't want her to be there for something that, you know, nothing was really happening. Um, and then the contraction started. In my mind, I feel like they started so fast and so intense, like out of nowhere. Um, to me, it felt like they were two minutes apart the entire time, and it was it was pretty pretty intense for that that first part. Mm -hmm. And so far, uh, you'd only had a couple of doses of miso by that point. Yeah, and it was the oral. It was just oral. I think I had two. That was the 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 most that they had given me and the nurse checked me. And I remember originally I had not wanted to be checked because um, I didn't want to get my hopes up with numbers. And when the, or the midwife, when she checked me and she told me that I was like a, a two, I was just heartbroken because in my mind I was already like a four because I had been a two at 40 weeks. Right. And I think that's a really important thing for people to understand is that you might be like you too, like your starting point was two. It doesn't mean that you'd gotten to two. It's mm -hmm. like you were already there before late because labor hadn't started. Like you hadn't right. had intense contractions there then. So you need a lot of force to create change in that cervix. And it can be, right. that's again, one of those like my the, the cervical checks can get into your it'll be a mind game because mm -hmm. you were two and then you're right. still two yeah right totally and looking back now I know why I wasn't progressing my my little guy was not activating he was not dropping down to press on my cervix so um I felt like the contractions were so intense and that I wasn't even getting a break and uh I felt like they weren't productive. Like I was trying to watch that little monitor and, and to me they felt so intense, but on the monitor, they weren't, they were just like tiny blips. Mm. And that's, um, that's another, I, I'm sorry. I keep interrupting you no, with okay. like information, but it's like, it's important to know that, that the monitor, 
the the contraction monitor it does not measure intensity it just mm. measures that it's happening so it's positional you might be having huge hills right and right. then you might move and then they turn into little mounds and yep. they're still your the intensity that you're feeling it's just that how it's picking it up like to actually detect intensity and measurable force they would have to do an intrauterine pressure catheter so actually put a catheter between baby's head and the uterus and mm. measure the pressure that the uterus is exerting on the monitor. Wow. Okay. That's very interesting. Yeah. I, I know. And, and I had the same experience when I had my daughter because I was like, oh, I'm having so intense, such intense. And I saw the monitor and I saw, because you can see other people's. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can see everybody's who's laboring uh -huh. and you can see all the different charts and you're like, my little mounds are like this. And look at that person. And this feels this intense. And it's this little like, yeah, it messes you up. It does. It really does. And I had to learn to stop, try to stop looking. And eventually I wasn't even in that. Uh, mind frame anymore. But um, by this time, my my doula had come and uh, we had a birth plan together, you know, soft lights and camp or music. And she was amazing. And she got all of that set up. Um, she gave my husband the rebozo so he could put it around his shoulders. And I just remember pulling down on it and just giving like this primal moan trying to work through these contractions on the edge of the bed and I felt like for the longest time that was the best position for me was to just pull down through the contractions and um just kind of work through them and he was there and he I'm so grateful for the doula because she was able to support us you mm. know had had she not been there I honestly don't know you know if if he or I would have known what to do I mean we took we took the classes but when you're in that space, you kind of forget all those wonderful tips and tricks. Yeah, for sure. So, so um, I had also wanted to get in the tub and I know that my hospital had two rooms with the tub. Um, and they had said, if the tub was available, you'd be more than welcome to get in it. You had to be at least a six. Um, so I had finally asked for the tub and they told me there were no liners and I couldn't get in and I was just devastated. They had run out? Apparently they oh, just gosh. told me there were no liners and being a person that, you know, if I had painful cramps, I would always get in the bathtub at home and just to have that taken, I'm like, oh, something I had wanted so bad. I know you can't birth in the tub at Kaiser, but just to be able to labor in that, in that warm environment was something I had hoped for. Mm. Hey, Sarah, let's take a quick break. But when we come back, I want to see, I want to hear about what worked. If once, you know, you didn't have the tub, what, what did you lean on then? We'll be right back. And we're back talking with Sarah Fowler about her birth experience. And so you were just told there were no liners for the tub. Mm -hmm. What, how did you adjust and what did you do instead? Well, at this point, we're still laboring naturally. Um, and I had finally just, we tried the birth ball. Um, I was feeling so tired at this point and my doula suggested to get in the shower. So I got in the shower, uh, about twice. And the second time the heat just overcame me and I felt really nauseous. So I decided to get the intravenous pain relief. Um, I believe it was fentanyl and honestly it didn't do much. 
I, I really felt no relief from that. So we ended up trying the TENS unit and I didn't like it. I, it just, it didn't distract me the way I thought it was going to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I continued to try for a while on my own, just, you know, on my knees over the edge of the bed. Um, we tried, what is the gas called? Nitrous oxide, I think. Yes. And I tried that and I can visualize myself just looking just totally drained. And it was to me extremely hot in the room. And I tried to ice pack on my back. And I remember asking my, my partner and my doula saying, is the heater on? I am so hot. And they told me later that it was 55 degrees in the room and that everyone was freezing. (laughs) And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. You were working so hard. I was sweating and they were frigid. <laughs> so, um, what time was the, do you remember, like, where are we right now? I think we are early Tuesday morning. Okay. Early Tuesday morning. And, uh, I finally broke down and got the epidural <laughs> and cause I was just so tired and it was pretty much instant relief at that point. Uh, So fast forward a little bit, they checked me. I was a nine. They wanted me to try to rest, which was really hard. Was that before or after you got the epidural? That That was after. Awesome. That was after. They wanted me to rest. Um, I do end up, I remember being really thirsty, really hungry. Um, Then I remember throwing up, just feeling really nauseous and, and saying I needed to throw up. They started the Pitocin at this time too, at a really slow drip. Um, And... So they came in and they said I was ready to try to start pushing. And I, I didn't realize that this was not going to be the, the first pushing part, that this was kind of like the, the warm up to pushing. Um, so I really gave it my all. Um, at, you know, I'm so tired by now. I'm in labor for almost 24 hours. And they, the midwife came in and she told me to keep pushing her fingers out of the way. And I'm thinking, I am. And she was talking to me like I wasn't even trying. And it was just, it was Mm. kind of defeating at that point. Um, I think it was this time they discovered that my baby was posterior or sunny side up. I think that's what they call it. Yeah. I'm not quite sure. I was going to ask you about position because those super strong contractions from the Mm get-go sounded a bit like that. Yeah. And he... And now I'm looking back, my back labor was so intense. And I think it was because of his position and they, they tried to turn him. So they tried to stick their hands up there and turn him around. And, um, I I think I pushed on and off for two hours at this point with really, I mean, they kept telling me he was a station zero and that he wasn't, he wasn't progressing and, um, they wanted me to rest again. So they gave me a peanut ball. Mm-hmm. And they put it between my legs and um, they turned the lights off and left the room and they said, don't push. And all I could feel was like, I needed to push still. So um, I couldn't rest. I, I just kind of laid there. I guess that is resting if you think about it. But at this time they put the intrauterine monitor on him. Um, so he had a little thingy in his head. Right. Um, and then they put, the the belly monitor on me was not working. I don't know what happened. It wasn't getting good readings. So they put a sticker monitor on my belly. Um, something that went in like a four-leaf clover mm-hmm. almost. And then early Wednesday morning, 
they, I started to push again. Um, they, they thought I was ready. And then I got baby down far enough by this time for them to see his hair. And I was so tired. I was just, I was so tired. Um, but he wasn't really making much progress beyond being able to see his hair. And so this time I'd had the the midwives the whole time and the nurses, and then an OB came in and I had seen the nurses come in with a little kit that looked like a, had C-section marks on it. Like, like said OR and the nurses came in with different outfits on and the OB came in and she asked me if I wanted to try the vacuum and I'm delirious and I look at my doula and I just look for her for advice. Like, what do you think I should do? Um, and I asked my husband, what do you think I should do? And they both, you know, it was on me. So I said, I wanted to try it. And they told me you have two chances. If it comes off, then we're going straight to C-section. And so we tried it once and it came off once. And they tried it again and it didn't come off. And then the second, the third time it popped right off of his little head. And so the OB gave me this really worried look. I can, I still see it clear as day, her face, just looking worried. And, um, she asks me if I want to keep pushing. <laughs> and I almost like looked at her and said, are you serious? And I just asked her, how long, how long will it be? And she said, I don't know, 30 minutes, three hours. And I said, I just want my baby. I want him out. So in 10 minutes, they had me wheeled into the OR. And I remember laying there and I had the most amazing anesthesiologist and the most amazing nurses. And they just held my hand and they, everything just happened so fast. And I can remember I kept asking for water. That's all I wanted. I was so thirsty. Mm. And I think from the labor room, from me saying yes to the birth of my son was 10 minutes. They had him out. And he was born at 7-11 on March 7th, 2018. So a little over almost 48 hours from when we got there to his arrival. And I remember them saying, oh my God, he's big. And he was 11 pounds, two ounces. He was big. And 22 inches long. And tall. <laughs> yeah. And I, it says a lot because when I was pregnant, he would tuck himself up under the right side in my ribs. And it was so uncomfortable. But he probably had hardly any room. I would have to use an ice pack to get him to move. <clears throat> Excuse me. So did that work? Like, would you put, it Oh yeah. Well, ice packs worked miracles. I would just put the ice pack on my belly and then, you know, he would move, turn over, or move around and I would get some relief. So I slept many a nights with ice packs. <laughs> I had not heard that trick. I like it. Oh yeah. It, Cause they don't like the cold. Yeah. So it, it really, and then it helped the nerves that he was laying on. Mm -hmm. So when you started getting the epidural, did you, do you know how much sleep you got? Cause well, immediately you were able to rest, but did you get anything significant? No, mm -mm. I honestly did not sleep the whole time I was in the hospital. But just long. Cause that's two full days. Yes. I did not sleep at all. And 
I didn't sleep after he was born either. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Those two days after the C-section, when I were in, when we were in recovery, I I don't remember sleeping. No, no, that's that's all so exhausting, Sarah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So let's take another quick break so that I don't interrupt you afterwards. But um, I want to talk about, you know, let's go over this experience and how you were feeling about it and how you're feeling with it now. And yeah, let's talk about that. We'll be right back. Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns, and sometimes I find that investing gets put off because it doesn't seem urgent or because with our busy lives, we may not have the time to research and manage said investments, which is why I so appreciate that Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future and that you don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. So for example, I take advantage of Acorn's roundup feature where they round up the purchase amounts I make in my linked account to the nearest dollar, and then they automatically transfer that to my invest account portfolio. Also, Acorns can recommend an expert build portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. For me, that's easy peasy investing. Head to acorns.com slash birthful or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. Client testimonial may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com slash birthful. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors LLC Acorns is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorn Securities LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You've taken gorgeous photos of your baby or your kids, and then when you want to share them, it is a pain either trying to find the photos or figuring out the group text that they should go to, and then also remembering that, say, Aunt Helen only does email, so you need to send her image separately. Or like in my case, where my husband is a photographer who takes magnificent photos that I rarely actually get to see because they live on his phone or end up scattered in text messages that I can't easily find. Enter the Family Album app, which was created to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with your loved ones. Basically, it's a personal space for your family's memories without third-party ads or unwanted eyes and with a bunch of fabulous features. It automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and easily see how your child has grown. And you can also order eight photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. The Family Album app also has unlimited storage. Plus, it's totally free. Yup, no more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by third-party ads. So, to all the parents out there still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, level up your family photo game for free and securely with the Family Album photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, all in one word, and download the app to start creating your shared photo legacy. And we're back. 
talking with Sarah about her birth experience, which just had one thing after another. And so once baby was born and he was mm-hmm. 11 pounds, you said 11 pounds, how many ounces? Two ounces. Two ounces. Um, did they said, could you see on his head? Was it like a big cone head or did he have any indication of if he was, his head was a little crooked to where he was trying to go down through? Honestly, no, I did not see any of that, which was amazing considering how long I had been pushing and how long he'd been in the birth canal. Um, I do remember them when it was time to go to OR, they literally pushed him back up. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, he did have a minor little scab from the, the monitor, but that's about it. Right. So at this point, like when you met him, you were exhausted. Like what was mm-hmm. going through your mind of, oh my goodness, it's, I'm so glad it's over. Or did you have a time of like, I'm so, you know, did you connect with your baby? Honestly, no. And I, I look back at it now and I, and I think of how much that I missed out, um, you know, being so tired and wanting water and, you know, I had envisioned that whole experience where they, they crawl up on your chest and it's just that serene moment. And I, I didn't get that. Mm-hmm. Were you, it, and I'm, I'm, I, my heart does go out to you because I know this is not what you wanted and I'm sorry to bring up the memories. Um, but where did you have a chance to recreate that later on when you were guys were home? Um, to be so honest, I don't think so. And then that's because I was so anxious. Um, I was a, I'm an anxious person by nature. I've struggled with anxiety my, my whole life, but to, I always, I had to do everything perfectly and it was hard for me to ask for help. And so, you know, just being in that newborn delirium and wanting to do everything right and, you know, being able to keep him happy. <laughs> uh, it was really challenging. It, if I look back at the first three months, everything is a blur. Mm. It really is. And I don't feel like I connected with him the way that I could have had it been a different birth. You think just being so tired, I don't think I caught up on my sleep until he was about four months. <laughs> okay. And do you think what could have made that, those first three months better? Oh my gosh. Had I known from the beginning that it was okay to, to ask for help, um, to rely more on my husband, I, I did it all because he had to go to work and I had to stay home. So of course I was the one getting up in the middle of the night a million times. And I was the one attempting to breastfeed for the first few weeks. And had I known that I could have, you know, done things differently, it might've been easier. Mm -hmm. And, and you were mentioning how tired you were and that you didn't feel you caught up to sleep until four Mm -hmm. months after, like even giving your yourself permission to sleep more. Yeah. I, I would have tried to sleep, but my, I seriously, my, the thoughts were just going so fast and I was worried about the baby mm-hmm. and I was worried about, you know, him being taken care of correctly or him crying or what he needed. And I, on I physically felt like my body was energized to this point where I was beyond being able to sleep. And 
when I was six months pregnant, I uh, had a cold and I took some Sudafed and they, I had to go to the hospital, the emergency room, because my heart was an AFib. And uh, being so delirious after childbirth and so exhausted, I was having a lot of heart issues. My heart was just racing and speeding up and racing and speeding up. And so that was another thing I had to deal with on top of having a newborn. Oh, for sure. And recovering from a cesarean. <sighs> oh, yeah, which is not easy. <laughs> right. So what in terms of the... Did you reach out to some care providers where they, was your anxiety being treated in any way? Yes. I, um, previously to getting pregnant and through my pregnancy, I was seeing a, a therapist. Um, and then I told my, and I had been on Zoloft before I got pregnant, but I went off of it during my pregnancy. Um, and I think it was probably at about six weeks when I stopped breastfeeding, I was, I decided to go back on my Zoloft. Um, my provider also uh, offered a new mom's support group, which was geared just at postpartum depression and anxiety. And I was able to go to that on uh, Thursday, Tuesdays at 11 o'clock. And it was other moms just like myself with a trained psychologist. And it was very, very, very helpful. Mm. Very helpful. That is a great resource for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know how how well it's offered. It was a small group. And I think you had to have been experiencing the signs of postpartum in order to be enrolled in it. But I'm so grateful that it was there and for the time that I did need it. Yeah. Of, of, was it just, well, no, you said it was postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety, just postpartum mood disorders. In Correct. Okay. Uh -huh. um, how long did you stay with that group? Um, probably about a, a month or two. Uh, cause I had to return to work and I started to feel better being on the low dose anti-anxiety depression medication and then, you know, coming out of the newborn fog and, you know, honestly, the, the biggest relief was when I decided to stop breastfeeding my son. Um, he had difficulty latching, which I know is very common. And what I remember is I had thought I want to breastfeed so bad that it's not going to be a problem for me. I wanted it bad enough, um, but it, it actually was very, very difficult. And him being born at, at a big size, he just needed so much. I could not fill him up. Um, and he wasn't like, he wasn't getting what he needed from me. And I felt like such a failure for having to supplement and, um, when I, and I was a slave to the pump, they had me start pumping in the hospital and it was just either he was on me or I was attached to the pump. And mm. it was just, they sent me home with a hospital grade pump. And when I wasn't nursing, I was to pump. And when I wasn't pumping, I was to nurse. And again, I'm exhausted. And mm. I felt like I was bonding with this pump instead of holding my baby and deciding to stop pump pumping and breastfeeding, uh, provided a lot of relief. And I knew that my baby was being fed. Um, and I felt like a big weight was lifted off my shoulders at that time. For sure. And so, cause let's talk a little bit about the big baby, um, and, and, and their needs for a second, mm -hmm. because I feel that that's something that doesn't get talked 
about enough. Mm-hmm. And, you know, babies above, well, it, it depends. There's some people say that a, a big baby is between, you know, anything bigger than eight pounds and 13 ounces. And then you get other places saying, uh, nine pounds, 15 ounces, closer to 10 pounds. So, you know, around nine to 10 pounds. Um, and then if you have gestational diabetes, then there's other considerations. So they get really, um, very cautious about baby's blood sugar levels and making sure they're regulating well and getting yeah. enough. So when he was born, did he have to get blood sugar levels tested and pass quote unquote those tests yes that was one of the first things they did can you yeah speak to that um they tested his blood sugar a couple of times right after he was born um and i think he he might have needed a little bit of sugar at the beginning but after that not not much do they give him i don't know if they give him sugar water or not. So they do a couple of different protocols, again, depending on where you are. Some of them will do formula. Some will do, some of them will do a a glucose gel that just goes in their mouth and it gets absorbed directly. So it's not Mm -hmm. affecting, you know, gut flora or having anything else that just glucose. And some will do sugar water. Yeah, I don't think he needed much, but I I know for a fact that they did monitor his levels. Part of me wondered too, if he was really 11 pounds, because when he came out, he was so swollen, like just... Oh, from the fluids? Yeah. Mm. And he ended up losing a lot of weight after he was born. He dropped down to nine, I want to say nine, four. And then they were very worried that he wasn't getting enough from me. And then that stress was put on top of me that I wasn't feeding him enough and um yeah that he wasn't getting enough milk from me and wasn't pulling it correctly and all that stuff so yeah and that is a big uh, weight change that's like mm-hmm. a drastic do you know if they weighed him at 24 hours and what that difference uh I believe he had lost weight yeah yeah, which is so back to the the fluid thing that you're mentioning. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes because it's not necessarily the epidural or the it's the if you have an epidural and for a cesarean, um, well, because you're going to get a spinal or an epidural, you need a lot of fluids ahead of time. And because you were doing the induction as well, I'm sure you had you got, I don't know lots of bags of fluid like not just one or two i'm Mm -hmm. guessing you were very swollen too um so sometimes it's it's recommended to weigh babies 24 hours after they're born and take that weight as their birth weight in terms of weight loss for breastfeeding had i known that it would have been easier for me. And I had remembered listening to many of your podcasts and how they said, you know, people had said that the fluids are going to inflate their weight. And so I, in my head, I knew that. Mm -hmm. But when the nurses and the newborn care staff were like, he's losing too much weight. You know, I just am thinking to myself, oh my God, like I'm doing this to my baby. Right. Like you think it's your fault. Yeah. 
when mm-hmm. it was an inflated weight and and it's yeah. so hard when you're in that you were exhausted you just mm-hmm. you know were trying to it's not like you can get rest in the hospital because they're at you 24/7 checking something <laughs> monitoring yeah. something and they're coming in at all hours of the morning and all hours of the night to you know test his hearing and check this or check that and he was really full of fluid too from not having gone through the birth canal. He was very gargly mm. and very mucusy. And um, when they tested his hearing, the lady had, the nurse had lifted him up and he just expelled so much fluid. Oh. It was, it was crazy. Well, and that's another thing that makes breastfeeding a little bit difficult too, because mm-hmm. if they have, if they're juicy babies, right? If they have yeah. a lot of fluid inside, figuring out the suck, swallow, breathe, Mm-hmm. Or organizing those three things is takes a lot. And if there's, imagine when you have a cold, and and babies are not necessarily that great at you know they can't figure out mouth breathing that great. Um, so imagine when you have a cold, if you're congested, trying to eat when you have a you have to create a suction in your lips to eat, then you mm-hmm. can't breathe at all. Yeah. Yeah, so it would make sense that his latch was also, he was having trouble figuring it out because if he was Mm -hmm. so juicy. Yeah, and I am naturally small-breasted and naturally small nipples. And so that was another challenge for him, being able to feel it in his mouth. And I remember going to lactation consultant, and they offered them at my hospital. Mm -hmm. um, And they immediately put a nipple shield on me. And they, they didn't really explain it. They didn't ask if I wanted it. They just put it on and he was able to nurse with it. And I felt like I was broken because I needed it. And I struggled with having to use it. Um, and then I, it was such a pain in the tush to get it on and get it off and make sure you have one clean. And I wished I wanted so badly for him to be able to nurse without it. And he unfortunately was not able to. And honestly, I don't know. He would nurse for like 45 minutes to an hour and still wouldn't be full. And I was just, I didn't know what to do. Mm. And he didn't have a lip tie or a tongue tie. You know, I did take him. um, They said he had a deep, deep tongue tie, but it wasn't something that was way up front. And I had taken him to the ENT and he said, we can clip it, but it's very minimal. And I didn't want to put him through that pain. And so I chose not to. Mm. And did you have him go through, uh, provide any body work such as chiropractic or craniosacral? Yes, we took him to the um, a really amazing chiropractor here in uh, Sacramento. And she was able to do three or four sessions on him and get his, she hung him upside down and got him realigned and used a little vibrating machine on his back. It actually really, really helped. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, clearly you did all the things. <laughs> like you were being an Uber mom, not failing, but actually going way and beyond trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, I want, I wish I could go back to last year and give you an enormous hug and say, Sarah, you're doing it. And, and it's not failing. Because mm. I hear you saying those words and, and, it does feel like it when you're in right. it and it's not working, right? Like, why can't my baby feed? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and 
that it makes sense that things start things were stacking up with the weight loss and so it makes sense that they send you home with an industrial grade pump and having you pump nonstop because they're thinking this baby lost so much weight we mm -hmm. need to get him back and at the time i had when i decided to stop attempting to nurse and just go straight to pumping i was pumping on anywhere from 25 to 35 ounces in a day but he still wasn't getting full and i i just i think the stress from that I was under was making, I don't know if this can happen, but my milk just wasn't very fatty and it wasn't full. And he just, he could not get fill, filled up. Mm, he just needed more. He did need more. And once we decided to switch to formula, he was like a different baby. And yeah, I couldn't, I want people to hearing this. I want them to understand that if breastfeeding is miserable, Maybe mm -hmm. there's something, you know, doing formula can get you a better bonding and relationship and, and providing other things to your baby, or you yeah. do a mix of both or whatever, mm -hmm. but exclusively pumping. And, 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 and I can relate to that because my daughter, well, she had a, a tongue, t a lip tie that wasn't resolved. And I didn't know any, any of anything <laughs> at that point. I was not a doula or didn't know any of this. Um, and same thing, like so many of the, 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 of what you're saying, I can relate to because I didn't want to ask for help. I wanted to do it all on my own. And I, it was, I was having anxiety. I was having depression and just feeling like a failure. Like, why can't I, all I'm doing is doing nothing all day, like changing diapers and feeding a baby. And I can't even do that. Right. right. Um, and I ended up, she, she, because she had the leaky latch, um, mm -hmm. it kept clicking. Mm. So, which meant she kept breaking the latch. And so she was not even though I had enough milk, because the latch was a problem, it wasn't transferring. Yes, that's him. That's what Kellen, his issue was too. Yeah, so it's not it, it, it's not just the breast and the latch, is it, and then like is milk going from the breast to the baby. Mm -hmm. So then I ended up exclusively pumping, and I hear you, it is the worst. Yeah. Because you're not getting the benefits of all the loveliness of breastfeeding and the ease of breastfeeding. You still have to like prepare the bottle and do that. But then you have to deal with you you don't have the benefit of the formula of mixing it and going. You have to sit down and pump and spend hours and hours doing that. You yeah. know. Um so it's exclusively breast uh, pumping is not for the faint at heart. Um and it's usually not sustainable for a long time. Yeah, I was lucky that I was still off work. I had taken the end of the rest of the school year off from January to August. So I was able to devote that time. But it was it was a lot and it was extremely draining. Yeah. I didn't realize how hungry my child was. Yeah. Until she got a bottle and then it was her face was bliss. Mm -hmm. When she had, you know, like the formula falling well, at that point, because we were doing a mix of both, mm -hmm. um, you know, oozing from her afterwards, that milk coma look that's yeah. just like passed out with the milk drooling and going like, oh, this is so good. Like you can yeah. see that ecstasy, ecstasy on their face. <laughs> she didn't have that for weeks until yep. she got a bottle. 
And my son, when he would nurse, they would tell me not to let him fall asleep and to wake him up constantly. And he would constantly, I mean, he'd suckle for a little bit and then he would fall asleep because he was, it was a lot of work for him in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then, so to see him when he was actually satisfied and he had that open palm and the, the relaxed face and it, it was comforting to know that I was, you know, giving him what he needed. Yeah. And especially if you don't have people around you, which was your case, my case of, cause we weren't asking for help mm -hmm. of saying, you know, Hey, wait, like, let's get, let's fix one of the things. Let's either figure out this, like, let's get you guys both not tired or figure out a better latch or figure out, you know, something like let's yeah. lessen the anxiety. There's so many things. Let's fix something. Yeah. Had I now hindsight is 2020 had I known, but it, it, it all happened for the way it was supposed to, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, and what a relief that you were able mm -hmm. to make that choice and then go, you know what, Whew, now I can move on yes. with, to actually bond with my baby and find mm -hmm. healing after all this experience. Absolutely. So looking back on it and when did you start, when did you start the formula? Um, we started at about seven weeks. Okay. And then, and, and you went, were you mixing, like doing supplementation or at, yeah. at any point? Okay. Yes, we were mixing. And then I started slowing when I decided to stop pumping. So we would just use the rest of the formula or the breast milk and then make it more formula over time. When did you decide to stop pumping? Oh, probably at seven, seven weeks. Mm -hmm. I had stopped breastfeeding, trying, attempting to breastfeed probably at like five Okay. And then you went back to work around. He was five months old when I went five back months. to work. Okay. Yeah. So you did get a few months of, you know, just more snuggling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He still would wake up multiple times during the night as he should. Um, and so, but it was easier because his dad was able to help. <laughs> mm, mm. And, and. I think we need to move, and we all do this, but I think we need to move away from that idea of dads helping. Mm. It's their child too. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. They shouldn't be helping us. That, right. that and, and, and we all do it. They right? mm -hmm. like put it on ourselves first. But I think it, we, it's important for us culturally to start moving that away That's from. That's so true. Because you still work, right? You still mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, this meme keeps showing up on my feed lately that says we expect women to work like they have no kids and mother like they don't work. It's, it's so true. And so let's change that. Mm -hmm. Let's let's change it. Um, other things to change you looking back on the experience and knowing all the things that you know now. I know you mentioned a few things, but um, what else would you change or do differently? Oh, my goodness. Mm. Letting my, like I said before, letting my family help. I, I kept my mom away and I don't know why. I guess it just that needing to be able to do everything myself. Um, oh, I would definitely ask my doctor early on to tell me how big he was because she, she wouldn't tell me. <laughs> she didn't know. She said, um, I don't know. I think, I think I, tr I asked for help as, or like from my doctor as early as I could. Um, and to just know that I, I can't, it, 
it's not going to be perfect. I guess I expected it to be a certain way. And when it didn't look that way, I was thinking that my situation was unique. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it can go many ways. We plan the best, but mm -hmm. it, however it ends up, it's your birth, right? It's right. still you gave birth mm -hmm. and it is uniquely your story to to carry in a good or bad way, whatever, right? right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally. Before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to make sure the listeners know? Um, not really. I just, I, I valued having a, a doula as my support. Um, and I think that's a really, a really valuable asset. If you can have one in your, for your labor and your delivery, and even just postpartum, had I known that I could have had that support postpartum, that's something I would have also gone and done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, postpartum doulas, love them. Big shout out to postpartum doulas. Not that we had one. <laughs> we didn't even have um, Sarah, thank you so very much for coming on the show and sharing your story. I know that it wasn't as you expected, but I appreciate that it's important for people to hear all kinds of outcomes. And, yes. Yeah. So I appreciate you having me. Um, your, your podcast has, it, it helped me so much. And I really hope that what I had to say today can help another mama that might have a similar experience to mine. Mighty Ones, find the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about me, the show, Patreon member benefits, send me messages and more. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you. The title song for this podcast is Vives by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so very much for listening. This episode is copyright 2019 by Adriana Lozada. Hey, Mighty One, did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.